0: And quite honestly, it's really been a black eye on Apple's portable Mac lineup. When people complain about the keyboard failing over and over and over, it makes it hard for you to trust that you should go and spend money on these expensive MacBook Pros or MacBooks or MacBook Air when people are having so many issues with the keyboard, which is pretty much the main way you're interacting with these computers. They don't have touchscreens. They have trackpads and they have keyboards and you're either using one or the other or both. So when the main input mechanism fails so much, it makes you pause before you buy an Apple notebook. Welcome to Geared Up brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards. Geared Up is your weekly look at the news in the world of consumer electronics and gadgets. And this week we're gonna be taking a look at a couple of pieces of Apple news and then answering your questions. On the agenda, we've got the death of iTunes, which is impending and looming over us. Got new 2019 releases for the MacBook Pro, along with news of what Apple is trying to do to mitigate all of the keyboard problems that they've been experiencing over the past few years. And then later on in the Q and A, we'll be talking about the Tesla Model 3 and the OnePlus 7 Pro among other things. Before we jump in, you may be wondering what happened to the last two weeks worth of shows. And the simple answer to that was I was sick. Two weeks ago, I had no voice. One week ago, I did have a voice. I recorded a show, but when I played it back, I still sounded very obviously sick. So I didn't want to put that out there into the world, so I scrapped that show and decided to wait until I was back to 100%, at least where my voice was back to 100%. Of course, if you're following me over on YouTube, there was still content flowing there because I usually record my videos in batches. If you're not subscribed there, you can head over to youtube.com slash gear live and hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of my video releases and tech reviews. By the way, over on Instagram, I put up a post asking a question about big phones versus little phones. I'm curious what you guys think as listeners. If you can head over to my Instagram, instagram.com slash Andrew. Of course, Andrew spelled A-N-D-R-U. Take a look at the post and drop a comment. I'm very curious to know if people prefer little phones or bigger phones. Now, this isn't about what you end up buying because for example, for me, I'm finding that I do actually prefer the smaller devices, so the smaller version of the same phone, for example, I would prefer an iPhone XS over an iPhone XS Max or Pixel 3a over a Pixel 3a XL. However, I do find that I end up buying the larger versions, main reason being I want the larger display sometimes, and also more often than not, it's really about having the larger battery. But when I pick up one of the smaller devices, I instantly feel, wow, this is actually Nice. This is le- it's not unwieldy. It feels good in the hand. Easier to fit in a pocket. So I'm torn. Anyway, head over to Instagram. Check my post. It's a photo of a Pixel Three A and a Pixel Three A XL. The two boxes side by side, asking which one people prefer. All right, let's jump into the news of the week. We are kicking it off with some leaks. We've got some Apple leaks out here, and these leaks seem to be signifying. The death of iTunes, Apple iTunes, which has been around for about a decade and a half, seems to be on the way out. Screenshots of the upcoming Mac OS release, the next release that will be revealed next week at WWDC 2019. We're not sure what it's gonna be called yet. I'm hearing all sorts of things. Mac OS Sequoia seems to be the front runner, but we won't know until Apple announces it on stage. But leaked screenshots have appeared on 9to5Mac, not renders, but actual screenshots from the next version of macOS showing a dedicated music app and a dedicated TV app. Now Apple did announce that a dedicated TV app was coming to the Mac in the fall, so that would be that TV app there. But there's also a dedicated music app. And if you're saying to yourself, well, I thought that's what iTunes was. That was a dedicated music app. It's actually not what iTunes is these days. iTunes is your music app, it's your phone syncing app, it's your books app, it's your podcast app, it's your TV and movies app, it's also your audiobooks app. And up until recently, it also held the iOS app store as well. So iTunes has become bloated over the years, and it looks like Apple is about to break it up split it up into multiple different dedicated apps now the movie and tv apps look fairly similar to what you see in itunes you basically have a main area on the right hand side you have your sidebar on the left that allows you to navigate between different sections and then also some navigation along the top so i will leave links to the article in the show notes but you can see dedicated tv app dedicated music app also looks very similar to what you see in iTunes as well, just without the navigation that allows you to switch between totally different types of media in the same app. Now the rumor is that we can also expect Apple to announce a dedicated podcast app and a dedicated books app as well, and I assume audiobooks will be a part of that too. One other small thing to note is that these screenshots also seem to show and indicate the return of more color in the glyphs on Mac OS. What I mean by that is a little icon. So right now, if you were to open iTunes and look at the left-hand sidebar, there are icons there, but they are flat colored. In the new screenshots, the sidebar on the left-hand side and in both apps that we're seeing here do actually have some color to them. So Apple's sprinkling in a little more color into Mac But that was not the only Apple software leak. There were also screenshots leaked of iOS 13 as well. The big one here, um, at least that a lot of people have been waiting on, not me so much, I'm actually not sure why there's such a mania and frenzy around this, but the screenshots do confirm that Apple will be incorporating a dark mode into iOS 13. Enabling dark mode is going to be as simple as either going into your settings and turning dark mode on there, or you can add it to your control center, swipe down, tap on dark mode, and you're good. Now we have three screenshots that have been released or leaked. The first one is just the home screen, which looks exactly the same as what we have today, with the exception of the dock at the very bottom of the screen. Instead of being opaque white, it is translucent black. So it's just, it's very, very subtle difference when you're on the home screen. But the next screenshot is of Apple Music. And today, if you open up Apple Music, you have a bright white screen, black text on white screen with images. In the leaked screenshot, what we're seeing is white and red text on a black background with translucent, with a translucent black control bar at the bottom. So, complete opposite of what we're seeing today in Apple Music. The third screenshot shows us the new control system for mocking up screenshots, if that makes sense. So it's a screenshot of the screenshot interface. So when you take a screenshot on your iPhone, the interface that comes up that allows you to mark it up and change it, edit the screenshot, etc. What we're seeing there, instead of a pure white background, we're seeing the home screen wallpaper blurred out behind the screenshot and then dark elements on the top and bottom. And we're also seeing more depth and color and shading on the screenshot tools at the bottom. Today we've got flat, basically 2D looking tools beneath screenshots when you take them and in the leaked version what we're seeing, each of the tools has some depth to them like they're trying to make them look more 3D, which is similar to how things looked back in iOS 6. Basically iOS 7 and above, that was the cutoff to where Apple switched from 3D realistic looking elements within iOS and switched over to the more flat look that we've been seeing over the past six years or so. Other screenshot that leaked was a screenshot of the new Reminders app, the updated Reminders app. The Reminders app that was released with iOS seven has pretty much remained the same. So we're now in iOS 12. So for six iOS versions, we've had what is pretty much the exact same reminders app with no changes at all. Now we're finally gonna see some changes come to the reminders app, four different sections. You've got your today section that shows you tasks that are due today, a section that shows you all your different scheduled reminders, a section that shows you all your flagged reminders, And then a section that just shows you all reminders, period, regardless of any other status. Again, we'll see more information on all of this on Monday at WWDC. But for now, it's interesting to see some leaks, some software leaks coming out of Apple alongside some things that a lot of people are going to be excited about, namely dark mode in particular. Are you a dark mode fan? Have you been have you been clamoring for dark mode to come to iOS? Let me know because I'm curious. I'm curious about the fascination about having a dark mode. Is it just about having a cooler look? Is it about saving battery? Is it something else? I'm not sure I totally get it, so I'm curious. Up next after the break, we're gonna be talking about the new 2019 MacBook Pros. We're gonna be talking about the new MacBook Pro keyboard, what Apple has done differently to try to mitigate the issues, what those issues are, and what you can do today if you're experiencing issues with your keyboard on your MacBook, MacBook Air, or MacBook Pro. It's coming up next on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Webbers, and it is now time for the National Car Rental story of the week. Big shout out to National Car Rental for sponsoring Geared Up. If you are a business traveler or someone who travels for leisure, I have another show that I do over on YouTube with National Car Rental. That show is called Technically Speaking, and that's a show where I bring you the latest and greatest in the best tech for travel. Again, whether it's business travel, or whether it's personal travel, tech can make your travel easier can make it more efficient. It can make it even more fun. And that's what, technically speaking, is all about. I bring you my picks for the best tech and consumer electronics to take with you when you're going on a trip. If you want to check it out, you can head over to the nationalcar.com control center or youtube.com slash nationalcarrent. The latest tech puts you in the driver's seat. National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. And now on to the National Car Rental Story of the Week. It is the new 2019 MacBook Pro mixed with new's on Apple's keyboards. So let's start at the beginning. Apple has refreshed the MacBook Pro line bringing eight core ninth generation Intel processors to its laptops for the first time ever. The Biggest change is gonna come to the 15 inch model which sees the base 2400 model start with a 2.6 gigahertz six core i7 processor which will turbo boost up to 4.5 gigahertz. So that's the base model but it'll top out at a version with a 2.4 gigahertz eight core processor which can turbo boost up to five gigahertz. Apple says this is the fastest Mac notebook it's ever made. Now I know people always wanna know about the highest end specs they can get, so this is it. I price it out for you. The highest end is gonna be an eight core CPU, 32 gigs of RAM, a four terabyte SSD, and the Radeon Pro Vega video card. Put all that together and your MacBook Pro is gonna cost you a very professional 6549 dollars now if the 13 inch models are more your thing the base model there is now going to be an eighteen hundred dollar quad core Intel i5 processor at 2.4 gigahertz that can turbo boost up to 4.1 gigahertz. And the top end is gonna give you a quad core i7 and that one can turbo boost up to 4.7 gigahertz. Should be noted though that the 13 inch models are getting Intel's eighth generation processor, not the ninth generation processor. And Intel just announced a 10th generation processor just a few days ago at Computex, which obviously neither of Apple's newest MacBook Pros are going to ship with. It should also be noted that the rest of the specs remain unchanged from the 2018 model. So, what you're getting here are faster processors with the 2019 versions, but the RAM options, the graphics cards, integrated graphics chips, the actual design of the computer, all that remains the same, with the exception of a change to the keyboard itself. And that's where we transition over into talking about Apple's keyboard woes and what they're trying to do about it. The keyboard on the MacBook, the MacBook Air, and the MacBook Pro. Quite honestly, this has been the worst part about these computers since Apple introduced its new butterfly key mechanism about four years ago. And the butterfly key mechanism is basically underneath the key, when you press the key, the inside of that key, what allows it to be pushed down and spring back up. There's different ways to make keys do that. Apple introduced something called the butterfly key mechanism that basically allowed them to make laptops thinner. So the keys are thinner and they travel less when you push them down. What's been happening is people have been having problems with these keys, either double pressing, so let's say you press the W button, it'll double press so you get two W's on your screen when you type W once, or on the flip side, you press W and you get no W's at all. So randomly, this problem keeps creeping up It sounded anecdotal at first, admittedly, but article after article has been written about this. It's a higher than usual failure rate. People complain on social media all the time about their MacBook keyboards malfunctioning, and I've even experienced it myself. Not just once, but on five different computers. I got the original new MacBook with butterfly keyboard, and within six weeks, I was experiencing this very keyboard issue. I went to the Apple store, told them about it, They said they wanted to give me a brand new MacBook because Apple wanted to take my malfunctioning machine and have it shipped back to headquarters so they can look at it and see what the problem was. Then Apple introduced this on the MacBook Pro lineup. I've had four different MacBook Pros exhibit this issue that needed to be swapped out. And it should be said, prior to this change, prior to the butterfly keyboards being a thing at all, I've never had a keyboard issue. I've never had an issue with any keyboard, quite honestly, in my life, whether it's a hardware keyboard on a smartphone, a keyboard on a Windows laptop, desktop keyboard, nothing. Keyboards, for me, have just worked like normal. Some of them are more comfortable than others, but they all work when you type a key, the key types. It just types the way it's supposed to. Never had an issue until Apple released their butterfly keyboards. It's not a good thing. We're now on the third generation of these butterfly keyboards, and Apple says they're now building part of the mechanism with a new material which should reduce or eliminate the problem that people have been experiencing. And quite honestly, it's really been a black eye on Apple's portable Mac lineup. When people complain about the keyboard failing over and over and over, it makes it hard for you to trust that you should go and spend money on these expensive MacBook Pros or MacBooks or MacBook Air when people are having so many issues with the keyboard, which is pretty much the main way you're interacting with these computers. They don't have touchscreens, they have trackpads and they have keyboards, and you're either using one or the other or both. So when the main input mechanism fails so much, it makes you pause before you buy an Apple notebook. Now one note though, alongside the announcement of the new 2019 MacBook Pro, and alongside the announcement of the new update to the third generation butterfly keys where they're using a different material to make the butterfly switches, Apple also announced a new keyboard service program. This is meant to give peace of mind to those who've bought pretty much any MacBook with a butterfly keyboard, guaranteeing to fix it for free up to four years after the first retail sale of the unit. So if you bought a MacBook or MacBook Pro two years ago, and you're seeing issues with your keyboard, you're now covered for two years from today. And it should also be stated that it's not just covering you once, it's covering you for the entire four years no matter how many times it happens. You may be wondering why would it happen more than once if I bring it in and they fix it, what's the problem? Well, the problem is if you have a second generation or first generation butterfly keyboard, they're not gonna replace it with the new version that just came out. They're incompatible with each other. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna take your broken keyboard, and they're going to replace it with another keyboard that's the same. They're going to replace it with another keyboard that fails often. And I assume they're giving you four years because they're thinking that's the life cycle. People will hold their laptops for four years before upgrading to a new one. So if they give you four years of coverage and four years of constant swaps of your keyboard, by the time your four years is up, you're going to want a new laptop Anyway, that's just my guess. That's not something Apple said, but that's just what I'm guessing, why they went with four years. But what's even more interesting to me in both a good and a bad way is that the new 2019 MacBook Pros, which have the new material build that's supposed to fix these problems, this is also already covered under the keyboard service program. In other words, the new computers that Apple says are fixed. They use a new material, this problem shouldn't be happening anymore, we should be good to go, is also covered for four years from keyboard issues. Does this mean that Apple doesn't truly think they fixed the problem? Or is it that they realize the loss of trust that their users have in their keyboards and they wanna get ahead of that broken trust by saying, hey, if you buy this new computer, you shouldn't have any issues, but if for some reason you do, you're still covered for four years from the day that you purchase it. I'm not sure which one it is, but either way, If you're in the market for a new MacBook Pro, know that you're covered for four years from the date of purchase for any potential keyboard issues that might spring up. By the way, Apple announced and released this hardware two weeks prior to WWDC, which again is just in a couple days on Monday. That means they've cleared the slate for laptops, or at least for the MacBook Pro. With WWDC looming, a lot of people are looking forward to hearing about a new Mac Pro. So not the MacBook Pro, but Mac Pro, the modular desktop Mac that Apple promised back in 2017. They said it would ship in 2019. Here we are, mid 2019, it's time to see and take a look at the next version of Apple's highest end computer period, the Mac Pro. So here's hoping they have something to show us about the Mac Pro at WWDC. All right, up next, after the break, I am answering your questions. We're talking OnePlus 7 Pro, we're talking Tesla Model 3 and more. That's coming up right here on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards, and it is now time for me to answer your questions. I asked on Twitter, I asked on Instagram, and I asked on YouTube, Give me your questions. I'm recording a show, we're gonna do a Q and A. And I picked a few of the questions that I thought would make for decent discussion. So let's start with the first one. Tech Talk asks, on YouTube, what do you think of the OnePlus 7? Now, I assume Tech Talk is asking me about the OnePlus 7 Pro, which is the phone that I have. The OnePlus 7 non-Pro version is not shipping in the USA, so I don't have one of those. Talking about the OnePlus 7 Pro though, um, number one, I have to give OnePlus huge props for what they've been able to do with the display. If you've been following any coverage of the OnePlus 7 Pro, you've probably seen and maybe even gotten tired of people talking about the display, but it really is fantastic. So if you're unaware, OnePlus is a company that's been making phones aimed at people who don't wanna pay a lot but want great features. So people have called them the flagship killer over the past several years. They're a flagship killer because you can pay half the price that you pay for a flagship device and get 85 to 90% of the features. Now the OnePlus 7 Pro is approaching flagship pricing. It's no longer half the price. We're up to, what is it, roughly 700 bucks to get a OnePlus 7 Pro, whereas you can get an iPhone XR or a Samsung Galaxy S10e for 750. So it's, it's definitely coming close when it comes to other flagships out there. But that said, there's not another smartphone display out there that is like the one on the OnePlus 7. What you have is a 90 hertz display, which we can compare to 60 hertz or 30 hertz displays on other smartphones. High refresh rate makes it super buttery smooth when you're scrolling, when you're opening apps, the animations, when you're playing games, just using the display is a joy and a delight and it's hard to go from the OnePlus 7 Pro display and switch over to a display that has less of a refresh rate. It really is a game changer and it's something that I hope to see in the next round of devices that we're gonna see later this year. Whether it's with the Note 10, whether it's with the iPhone 11, whether it's with the Pixel 4, these are all flagship phones that we should be seeing later this year. I wanna see better display technology in smartphones. I think it's time. I think OnePlus has shown that it can be done, and they've shown that it can be done now and cheaper than flagship phones from some of the more well-known manufacturers. So thumbs up there. Um, The phone as a whole, though, it's a mixed bag. Um, Main camera's good. The other two cameras, it's got three cameras. uh, The wide-angle camera, not that good and the zoom camera also not as great. Uh, Main camera's fine and the camera's quite honestly the one feature that a lot of people look to when they're deciding what phone they wanna get. So OnePlus has done a good job. I'm not saying it's bad but it could be better and there are better cameras out there but there are not better display experiences out there from what I've found. Next question from Conaway1, what is a good, reliable, long-lasting time-lapse camera? What I would do, Um, if you're just getting into time lapse, is I would pick up the DJI Osmo Pocket. It's the small pocket camera with a built-in gimbal. You can charge it with USB-C. So if you take this camera, put it on a tripod, and then plug it in to USB-C, you can plug this into a wall, And this will be the longest lasting time-lapse camera because you'll never have to change the battery. It'll just keep going um, until you run out of space on your micro SD card. And even micro SD cards are getting bigger. They just announced a one terabyte micro SD card. I think it's roughly 400 or $500, but it is there and it is available. But you can also get 200 gigs or 400 gigs. That'll that'll be hours of footage right there. So if you want to take a great time-lapse, I would say DJI Osmo Pocket, plugged in to either an external power bank or plugged into the wall with a large sized micro SD card and you're good to go. Next question, I'll answer these both at the same time. We've got C. 888 from Twitter. How does it feel to finally have your spoiler? And Mark Linsangin over on Instagram. Hey Mark L, how's your Model 3? Tesla Model 3, I've been driving it actually today, no actually, no, yesterday, yesterday, One year, one year anniversary. So I've got a video coming on YouTube, Tesla Model 3 review, one year later. It took a year to evaluate, drive the car. I mean, I'm surprised it's been a year because I quite honestly love the car and the experience so much. It hasn't felt like time has passed. So you know when you, at least for me, when I get a vehicle, after about a year or a year and a half, I start getting antsy. Like, hmm, what else is out there? I'm getting tired of this car. I haven't felt anything like that with the Model 3 at all. It's a joy to drive. It's a joy to have it drive me in autopilot. But again, I'm loving the car. I will be doing a video, one year review, over on YouTube, youtube.com slash gear live. Head over there and hit the subscribe button if you want to see that one. Um, But to address the other question from C 888 how does it feel to finally have your spoiler? If you missed the saga of my Tesla Model 3 spoiler, basically I bought a performance model, which is supposed to come with a spoiler. Now the spoiler said when you purchased it that it would come later. It took about nine months for Tesla to come and install the spoiler. which just happened a couple of weeks ago. And side note, if you're wondering why I just said I've had the car for a year and then I said two weeks ago was nine months, I bought a regular Model 3 first and then three months later I bought a performance model and then sold the first Model 3 because when I saw the performance model I wanted to have that one instead. Which is completely ridiculous, don't do that. but. I had I had to, I had to have it. So anyway, they came by, they installed it. They did it here at the house, which I love. Tesla can come by uh, your house or your office and take care of things that are easy to take care of that don't require you to take it into their shop. But it's actually now peeling away from the body of the car on both the left and the right sides of the spoiler. So they didn't do a great job installing it and it's actually peeling away from the body of the car. So I have a complaint in to Tesla ask him to come back, fix it, do it properly. When the guy came by, he said it usually takes 40 minutes to install the spoiler. And then for mine, it only took him 12 minutes. So obviously, you didn't spend all the time that it takes on average to install it when you did mine. And now look at the result, it's falling apart. All right, last question. Kevin Martin asks, since prices normally fall in the same range, does it make more sense to buy a mid-range phone or an older flagship phone? So what he's saying is, does it make more sense to buy a $400 mid-range phone today, a new phone, or does it make sense to spend $400 on an older phone that was a flagship phone a couple of years ago? And what I'll say about this is that, first of all, it's an interesting question, and it's a question that a lot of people should be asking themselves because a lot of people don't ask themselves this, and they just shop on price for new. And I'm gonna use the Pixel 3a, the new Pixel 3a that was just released a few weeks ago as my example, if you buy a Pixel 3a today, $400 starts at $400, bucks, and you're getting the same camera as you're getting in the Pixel 3, which is about twi- costs almost twice the price. But that's the price of a new Pixel 3. What you're not getting is the Pixel Visual Core, which processes your images faster and makes them look good. What you're not getting is water resistance. You're not getting wireless charging. You're getting a worse display. You're getting worse display cover glass. You're getting a worse body. You're getting plastic instead of metal. So basically what I'm saying is you're getting, and obviously this makes sense, you're getting a worse phone. You're getting a worse phone for $400 than you're getting for say $650. And if you're shopping on price, you may need to do that. You may need to cut your budget a little bit. But if you're shopping on price for new and you're neglecting old, and old as in new phones that are on sale, used phones, or my favorite, refurbished, you may be missing out on a good deal. I saw refurbished Pixel 3 phones for $429. So that is $30 more than the cost of a brand new Pixel 3a. For 30 bucks more, you can get a phone that sells for almost two times as much, has all the missing features, has that great camera, has a great front camera, has water resistance, has Gorilla Glass on it, has double front facing speakers, has wireless charging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for 30 bucks if you shop around, just look. Apple, same thing. You can go into an Apple store today and buy an iPhone 7 brand new for $450. The iPhone 7 has the A10 processor in it. That processor is still today, years later, one of the fastest processors out there. Now we're just a few months from the release of the next iPhone, the iPhone 11, so the iPhone 7 is probably gonna go away, but then the iPhone 8 will probably slide down into that spot, and that has the A11 chip in it, and that'll probably be the $450 phone. An iPhone 8 for $450 will handily beat the Pixel 3a at $400 in every area, with the exception, and this may be a big one to you, but with the exception of the camera. The Pixel 3a has what is considered to be the best camera in smartphones in my personal opinion it's also the most inconsistent camera out there um both the pixel 3 and a pixel 3a they take great pictures when they take great pictures which is often but they will also take inconsistent pictures as well so yeah that's my opinion i think you should really do your research if you're going to buy a phone and you have a mid-range budget don't think you can only buy a mid-range smartphone because you can get an older flagship for a great price that will usually be a better phone overall than a new mid-range or budget range smartphone. So there you have it guys. Again, after two weeks away from being sick, that was your episode of Geared Up. But to make up for it, we're gonna have another episode in just a few days right after WWDC covering all the announcements, all the news, and everything that Apple talks about from the stage. Until then, thank you so much for listening to Geared Up. Again, if you're not already, you should subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash gear live, in order to see all of my tech review videos. Of course, if you're listening to Geared Up and you're not subscribed, open up your favorite podcast app, search for Geared Up, two words, not one. We're in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, pretty much any podcast app that you use, you'll find us there. Hit the subscribe button in order to stay up to date on all the latest tech news with Geared Up. If you like what I do here, please do consider leaving a rating and review. It really does help me out by helping others find the show. Again, until next time, I'm Andrew Edwards, and I'll catch you on the next episode.